Welcome to DLSN, a podcast brought to you by McGuire Woods. DLSN promotes the advancement of women in private equity and finance through conversations with women in the private equity and finance space. These conversations provide both insights and practical takeaways to inform your deal work and enhance the culture of your organization. If you're ready to drive the industry toward a more inclusive and diverse environment, then it's time to come to the table. Welcome to DLSN. My name is Phyllis Young, and I am a debt finance partner in the Dallas office of McGuire Woods. Today, our guest is LaDawn Townsend, CEO of Voss Group, and the topic for discussion today will focus on how to help leaders lead. We'll talk about character traits for leaders, how to form allyships, skills to add to your toolkit to be a leader of influence, and how to practice authentic leadership. LaDawn, welcome to DLSN. Thank you, Phyllis, for having me. I am really looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you. So are we. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work at Voss Group? Yes. So for the past nine years, I have been an advisor to CEOs and boards, leaders that are who I call in a position of responsibility and high visibility, even those that are in the public sector And we are a boutique uh, leadership advisory and strategic agency that helps those leaders recalibrate as leaders to drive forward purpose-driven strategies for their organizations. And I've had the honor of working with uh, organizations in India and West Africa and, of course, here in the U.S., and it's been an amazing journey to take my corporate experience of being a fixer in corporate America for a very long time, 20 years, um, <laughs> and really bringing that into the marketplace to help leaders lead in really tough situations nine years ago, and even more so in the past few years as we've had to navigate a new normal and then a new normal phase two. You're right. I'm sure there have been a lot in the last even just three or four years, a lot of changes uh, pre-COVID and post-COVID. And so how organizations are working, how people are working, how leaders need to adapt their leadership skills. So I'm sure you've been very busy and active in this space recently. (laughs) Yes. It's interesting because, you know, when the pandemic first happened and, and I've taught, I've talked to leaders around not just the pandemic, but any disruption that comes in the marketplace. We never want to see something like this again, but there will be something that comes up. And I think one of the reasons why I'm so looking forward to our conversation today is because there is forecasted a lot of disruptions that are going to come from not just the U.S. perspective, but from a global perspective. And that's one of the things I focus on is because it's a it's a trickle down effect, right? What happens in one part of the world will eventually happen to ours and, you know, markets will shift and change and things like that. And so it's it's such a time for leaders to really pause, ask the new hard hitting questions in order to not just have an organization that survives, but really sustains and thrives and finds it new footing for its organization, especially those that are quite established um, in years. So it's definitely an interesting time for leaders to really capture the full perspective of what's happening. And LaDon, you have an interesting, a really good saying about bridging the gap and bringing people together. Can you tell us 
what that saying is, that guidepost that you use and why that is important to you and your work? Yes, I call it bringing both sides of the aisle together. So I'm a huge history fan. I mean, a history nerd. I I actually wanted to be an archaeologist. (laughs) Interesting. When I look at history, some of the I'm going to say most impactful leaders, and this is not a political discussion, because I always tell people, you you have to look at what the leader can do to bring both sides of the aisle together. And that's not just from politics. It's it's an everyday life, and especially in enterprises and in the marketplace. We're at a point, and and this has been a bedrock of what I've taught clients here at Boss and, and what my team reinforces with our work, is how do you bring really difference of opinions and viewpoints to the table when they're both needed for the common goal of moving the organization forward? And it's a part of learning, relearning how to agree to disagree. But I believe it's it's an even an element higher than that. It's where I call being a leader of influence, where it's not your title or even your years of experience or time with the organization. It's when when I've worked for leaders in the past where I I told them, I remember one of my last managers, I said, I would follow you blindly into a snowstorm because I know you would get us to the other side. And I was 200% serious about that because I saw this manager under extreme pressure day in and day out in the role. And they were showing themselves as a leader of influence without trying. And so that is when really leadership is played out. And when you have that person who's shown up every day and has really, you know, shown their stuff, meaning their their secret ingredient. They've, they've proved their leadership work without it being an agenda item. You're just watching how they do the daily operations. When that person steps into the position of bringing both sides of the aisle together, both sides listen. And we remove the ulterior of agenda items, or we remove the disagreements. And it comes back to how can we work together as a team? Because I believe that business can be a force for good, not to sound cheesy, but it can, because when both sides of an organization come together and they drive the organization forward with its goals in unity and effectiveness, it's a win for the company, which is a win for shareholders, employees that can stay employees and there's not layoffs. And then they can make an impact on the industry they serve, which is all around better for every marketplace. And they are a strong contributor to the economic development of a country. So that leader that you just mentioned, what were some of the traits? Because I think what what I was hearing is this person was being an authentic leader. What traits did that person have? And are, are all these types of traits, are they tangible personality things? Are some of them sort of intangible traits that people think that people sort of feel when they're around that person? What do you think on that? Mm. Good question. I believe they're 100% tangible. And it's so good that we're having this conversation this morning. 
I, I talked about this briefly. I, I do this quick two minute video during my walk in the morning. I call them the Monday messages. So uh, for people who follow me, I'm, I'm normally out like in the backyard or I'm out at the park or something. And, and I talked today about being an authentic leader and really the core of being an authentic leader and, and being this person that I'm describing that some of the listeners may want to say, wow, I, I really do want to step into that role, but it's tough. How do you, where do you begin? The first place you start, and this is what I've seen with the leaders that I worked with and had such respect for, they all had one thing in common, and that is that their yes was a yes and their no was a no. And the second part is that they were open to pull what I call a Tom Cruise. Let me break that down. When your yes is yes and your no is no. That's really about standards and accountability of how you coach your team. So if the standard is one way, and of course there's 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 areas of gray, right? There's things that happen. We're not saying to be a dictator, but but you knew that they were a person of their word essentially. So yes is yes, no is no, but then there's times and element where I believe you have to let your team know you're working on it. And that's what I call the Tom Cruise moment. So not only am I a history buff, I'm a huge movie fan. And in one of Tom, <laughs> so everyone knows Tom Cruise's character Ethan Hunt in Mission Impossible. Now I think in its seventh or eighth rendition, but in one of the earlier movies, you know he can save the world with like a paperclip and a cell phone. You know that's that's who he is. But there was this one time where the whole, throughout the whole movie, his team is like, "We're about to die." <laughs> The world is about to end. What do we do? And they turn to him, just like your team turns to the leader that you know the leader always has the answer. And what Ethan Hunt's response was via Tom Cruise was, I'm working on it. Now, I found so much freedom in that as a leader. And that goes along with your yes is yes, your no is no. And sometimes you're working on it. But the beauty of that is his team didn't question it. They said, okay, let us know. And they went doing their work because they already had a track record with him. And leaders who say that or let their team know they have to get back to them or they're formulating the plan, when they show up every day with a yes is yes, no is no, they're a leader of their word. When they need to create a strategy or when they need to say we're working on it, their character of leadership has already been displayed. So the team will wait for the response and they'll go do what they have to do. That's really the biggest part of being an authentic leader. I like that. I, that's a really good uh, way. I, and I actually have never thought about that, watching the Mission Impossible <laughs> movies. <laughs> oh, yeah, there was that one. And I think that as leaders, when you're responsible for so much, it's important that you take that time to reflect on how you can grow as a leader. And that's that's a tough thing to do because not only do you have the day-to-day job, then you have home and family obligations. But if we've learned anything from the pandemic, and what I what I really saw with my clients is that the time we had to pause, when, especially in the early stages when we didn't know what was going on and you everyone was literally just at home around the world trying to figure it out, what became clear is that there was time to think. And as leaders, that's the best thing that you can do. It is not about always being busy. An authentic leader is one that also understands their own boundaries 
And with those boundaries, it's for your good because you need the time to think and not always be busy. We live in a society where we have so many apps to help us be efficient. But one of the most effective and efficient things that you can do is taking time away to think. I I can't remember what country it is, actually, but they came out in early 2021, I believe, when people were still, you know, working from home and they actually put in a law that you cannot reach out to your employees, you know, at eight o'clock at night or two in the morning and reprimand them if they don't respond. Because we had that cycle where some companies were expecting really their employees to be on all the time, even though they worked from home. And so an authentic leader realizes that it is people over profit, as that's the saying, and, and I believe it's a book as well. But it's more than that. The person that agrees to work for your company is there because they believe in something, I, I believe most of them, in something that you're doing. Because if they don't, they'll be a part of the, I think McKinsey came out or there was a a staggering number. I think it was 69% of C-suite executives were highly considering leaving their position, not for a company that paid them more, but to go work for a company that cared about their well-being. There was another staggering number that said over 60% of um, managers and executives believed that their employees knew that they cared about their well-being, when in the the same uh, poll, less than 43% of those employees believe the leaders cared. So there's these chasms of what we think our employees and teams and companies believe about how we care about them and how we want to, who we are as leaders. And then there's the actual experience that people who drive the company to make the profit, to make things run, are really experiencing. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think, do you, with everything that happened during the pandemic, and like you said, leaders having the time to stop and think, and workers even having the time to stop and think, and some of the changes from the studies that you mentioned, um, some of the changes to the workplace um, as a result of everyone having to stay at home and work from home for such an extended period of time. Do you think that time, the that focus will help the work in the workplace in terms of bringing both sides together and having people kind of come together in the workplace to ultimately have a more productive workplace? Mm, yes, I believe it will. And, and here's why. One of the most powerful weapons an organization can have is a leader that thinks strategically and is fully on board for the organization. And the reason it's a weapon for good is because that person can rally a team when no one else can. They can stand in situations and think as a next-gen innovative leader when it's critical that that the critical thinking of leaders is being put to the test. And so one of the, the powerful lessons of this thinking and taking time to really understand how do we bring both sides of the aisles together, it's not so much of what the leader is saying. It's who the leader is. 
And in order for them to communicate in a way to bring those sides of the aisle together, it first starts with the leader knowing who they are. Let me give you a brief example. When I started my firm, um, wow, we're in our ninth year now. Woohoo! <laughs> Come on, 10. (laughs) Um, You know, I was a fixer in corporate America and went through a layoff. I think it was November 2014, something like that. And so what I knew was my vow was to help leaders recalibrate in order to drive what I call a purpose-driven strategy for the organization. And and um, if I had time to sit down over coffee with, with you and the leaders, I, I could share more about how all that came together. And But that's where I landed. And so fast and furious, we were a typical boutique consulting firm. And, you know, you go in, you work with a client and their team, you pull them into a conference room at a nice hotel for three or four days, work through the strategy, then they go back and implement, but they probably need two weeks to catch them emails. And and so there's all of this. And, and so when, when leaders pause to listen. It's because there's a message coming through that could really change your organization. So for me, I was so busy in building the business and doing the things and traveling and speaking with uh, different, you know, with media or working with clients in different countries. And I remember I was coming back from India, working with an amazing company, um, some of our top clients right before the pandemic broke out. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Thank goodness I got back because I, because I think it, it was rumored that it started there the month after I left. And so I remember coming back on the plane, I said, you know, we need to make a decision here. Now, here's where the leadership lesson is, is that as a leader, you don't always need a PowerPoint or data. You need to trust your professional gut, your gut that your CV is built on, your MBA, you know, all of the things. There's just something that you smell smoke before fire. And that is the moment you really need to just lean in and listen. And not even go ask people first. Just listen. What is it that's that's coming up for you? What is this thought? What is this? Um, something's just unsettled in your professional gut. So that was me. I'm coming back on the plane. I said, you know, we need to make a decision. Either we stay boutique or we blow it out and get, you know, 10, 15 junior associates and the whole thing. And and so I come back to the States and we're looking for office space and all of this stuff. And, and there's a point to this. And I just remember thinking like, gosh, is this really the path? Like, is this what's best for clients? And I believe that the business model of how consultants typically do business was changing. And so I told my broker, give me a month just to sit on it. We had looked at this big office space and I thought, it's nice, but is this the route for us? Is this the route that's best for our clients? And this is where leaders have to ask the question, is this best for my team? Is this best for the division? Is this best for what I'm responsible for? Well, then the month after that, the pandemic happened. And the lesson here is when you smell smoke before fire and you take a moment to pause, this this builds you up as an authentic leader for the moment that your leadership is called front and center in a situation that's critical, that you need to bring both sides of the aisle together. And so during the pandemic, everyone was slow, right? And so we thought perfect time to do the rebrand. You know, we had just had this internal gut instinct and I had talked to my team about doing things. And I said, let's reach out to some clients and some colleagues and even some prospects who really, really respected, asked two questions. That was that, what do you think my company does really well? What do you think I do well? Feedback for the company was amazing. It's what we wanted to hear. Client experience was good, friendly people. 
But for me, this is where as leaders, if you don't take time to pause and think, you'll miss the message. You'll miss the next rendition, the next version, the higher level of what you're responsible for in your organization or the company. And what I heard from people that I really respected is, you know, LaDon, we love the market analysis reports, which were like two and 400 pages that we would do or, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, well, that's good. They said, well, we really love our leadership sessions with you, like those 15 minute huddle calls that we have with you. Now, up to that point, Phyllis, I never really talked openly about leadership advisory or leadership training. It was always a pillar of our work, but that happened once the client worked with us and we said, well, before we start anything, here's where we always start. So the lesson here is if I hadn't have listened to that smoke before fire, trusted my professional gut, and then listen and ask the question that seems like a big, hairy, audacious goal and question. It's like, gosh, I don't know what people are going to say. But as a leader, there's a question that you want feedback on. So if I wouldn't have asked the question now, three years later, I would not have now be known as this trusted advisor. So, so now if there's a moment where it's called front and center and both sides of the aisle need to come together, the, the groundwork's already been laid, but it took me as a leader to let go of the ego to let go of what people would think or whatever, and just trust the professional instinct to say, there's a question here that I need answered. Now, where can I go to get that? So for those that are in positions where you're like, there is something, I believe there's always going to be a critical situation or crisis or something, but you want to be known as the go-to confidant, the expert. It starts with you recalibrating yourself first by reintroducing yourself to you and trusting your professional instinct. There's a lot there to what you just said. What I'm curious about is like, I always wonder people like you who are leaders who start organizations, what is it that at what point in their career or life did something make click or was it something that they always had in them that made them into that CEO, that made them into that C-suite executive? I'm curious, uh, what character traits do you feel that you have that have benefited you and your success? Wow. Um, thank you for asking that question. The first thing that came to me of a character trait may seem a, a little bit unconventional, but it was surviving a day that my executive corporate job landed me in the emergency room. And you see, the, a character trait starts with character. And regardless of the situation, how we, res how we choose to respond to it and show up means all the difference. Years ago, I come from the, the banking world. I love banking and finance. I'm a geek for all for all of it. I mean, I could watch NASDAQ all day and it just, it just is my thing. But um, there was a time where I was an executive working with a reputable bank, but one of their districts needed some, some uh, recalibration, I'll say. And one day, because I had built a relationship with my clients. I, I was a, a banker on the floor. One of my clients who I did not know was um, actually really uh, known in the, the health and fitness world. 
and I'm talking with him. And he said, well, Don, there's something not right with you. And so before I knew it, I was whisked off the floor into a conference room on the side and uh, EMTs were called and they were cutting my blouse and putting the heart monitors on. And I was wheeled out of my office into an ambulance on a stretcher to the emergency room in front of my manager, the staff, neighboring employees. And um, in that moment, I just said, this is A, not how I wanted to spend my Friday afternoon. And and B, how did I get here? And the bigger lesson of what then built character for me as a leader and boundaries was about 20 minutes, 30 minutes into the emergency room and my level started coming down. They thought I was actually having a heart attack. I think my blood pressure was 170 over one. It was something ridiculous. And it started to level out. And, you know, the nurse was giving me breathe. I remember they were just talking to me and I was breathing. The doctor came to me and said, I'm going to let you go in about an hour. We're going to monitor you, but you're, you're okay now. And he said, this tells me it was stress. And I thought, I know stress. Like, come on. Like, you know, I read the books. I do the breathing. You know, I do. I, I, right. I get up from yeah. my desk three times a day and I walk around the parking lot. You know, like you do your thing. And he said, I don't know <laughs> what's happening, but this is stress. And so in that moment, I realized my going up a corporate ladder or having a, a, a nice executive income or it, it shouldn't cost me my health. And I didn't blame the other people. It's, LaDon, what did you allow? What did you tolerate? What are you tolerating? And so that's what I tell leaders. If if you want your character, um, one of the things I, I teach is a method called recalibrate leadership, and it's 10 pillars. And one of the pillars that we start with is leadership insignia. That's your brand. That's how do you want to be known as a leader? And it started because I was laying in an emergency room bed and I said, this is not how I want to be remembered as a leader that I allowed stress right. to come to this level. So for me, my character, it's important that how I respond to situations is so critical because of that lesson that you can respond in internalizing it. You can respond in bitterness, in, you know, all of the things, or you can level set your emotions as a person who leads to then find the right words of how do I communicate? How do I understand who my internal customers are, meaning my boss, my coworkers, the boss's boss, and how do I communicate in a way that I bring both sides of the aisle together, not for me to get recognition. It'll naturally happen because they're like, who brought both sides of the aisle together? But so that the mission that I've agreed to be a part of, which is working for this company or leading my company, is accomplished because I have taken myself and my ego and put it on the back burner 200% so that the common cause for better, for the good of what we're going for, can come front and center. And when a leader learns to do that, you will get what it is that you want, which is to move the movement forward. But you've got to take yourself off of the agenda and you have to bring forward whatever the issue is. And that starts with you having the boundaries and character of how to communicate and what is important for you. And it was that trip to the emergency room that helped to build that character for me. Now, that's really fascinating. Thank you for sharing that story with us. 
thank you for sharing that story with us, LaDawn. Do you think as a woman, uh, women leaders, I think, maybe experience stresses in the workplace or experience the workplace perhaps differently than our male coworkers? So I kind of want to change the focus right now a little bit to maybe some issues around diversity and equity and inclusion and how women in particular experience those issues in the workplace. You were once a new kid on the block in this industry. What in your experience helped you feel valued, included in a workspace, in a workplace? And knowing what you know now, what are the hallmarks of an inclusive workplace? Mm. What helped me in the early stages was having an example of a woman in a very high leadership position. I don't even know if people do this anymore in high school, but I went through a ROTC program (laughs) where I got into banking and my instructor worked for a bank. She she was actually an executive there and she taught us um, every Saturday for like six months. And I just remember she taught us how to do the task, but she really taught us leadership. And I think for women that are in positions, it's so important of two stages. For those that are not in a leadership position, everyone's in some type of leadership position, but maybe you're not in an executive position. It's looking for those that she didn't know she was my mentor. I didn't ask her. I just watched and I took note. And I would ask questions that, you know, as a 17-year-old teenager, I, I would try and make sure they're, they're logical questions. And, and I would just seek that out because that, that helps me as a person. And then the other part of that is for women who are in executive positions is to give back. The, your, your life and role is extremely busy. So it, it may not be a, a full-time mentorship position or part-time, but the best way that I believe we can give back when we have reached a position of authority, and I do believe it is an amazing um, privileged position of pressure, meaning the more pressure we have, it is our privilege to be able to be in that role because of the impact we can make. And so it's for us to continue to evolve and grow and show leadership when we're not speaking about leadership, when we're just doing what it is that we do, because there's always there's a woman watching. There's there's men watching. There's people watching who are looking for a, a, a leader to be their virtual mentor or to learn from. And so I think that's really important for those two. And, and I think the, the best way for for us to look at inclusion and in diversity is, is one to yes, openly speak about it. But I also believe, and I remember talking about this uh, during, you know, the height of the, the civil unrest that was happening um, in, in mid 2020 and really resurfaced a conversation that never went away about what does it look like for DEI? What does it look like to be fair and equitable? What does it look like to be fair and balanced? What does it look like? And I I taught a a webinar on it to say, look, here are some of the small things that you could look at within your organization to see, are you really treating people correctly? And it was eye-opening for for leaders because you having a statement of of DEI or we're going to have a great company culture, a positive company culture, whatever whatever the keywords are, it's more than that. It goes back to the leaders from the top of the house down, your yes being yes, your no being no, 
and you having a standard that it just is what it is, meaning this is how we treat people. This is the culture we create. This is this is how we make sure our people are taken care of. And we don't allow the silent assassins of preconceived notions or thoughts that we know are not creating an equitable environment to stay. We address it. And it doesn't matter if it comes from Bob or Susan or whoever, and they've been there 50 years. It doesn't matter. Or if they've been there two minutes, what is right for your organization? And I I think that's what's really key. And the other part of it for women executives, you know, it's, it's a lot that is on their plate. One of the things I'll say personally is in all of the leading and the movements that we lead and the impact we're making, is also to make sure you're taking care of yourself. Because if you're exhausted, if you're on a stretcher going to the ER, you're no good for anyone else, right? And and I never want anyone to be in that type of situation. But it is important for us to know when we have an on switch, off switch, self-care switch. And I heard one of my mentors say, you know, look, you can't be this extremely successful person and thaw the chicken. For dinner, you need some help. <laughs> and I'm a huge advocate of if you have an assistant, great. Make sure they're, they're, you, you're fully giving them the runway to help support you, whether it's around your house, whether it's with your team. I think for women that are in a position of leadership, it's important for us to be okay that we don't have to be the ones to do all things, that we are a leader that is there to coach and give back to others through that leadership And the best way you can do that is by giving opportunities for those around you to come support you because that's how you truly develop the next level of leaders. Because it is in those moments where you're just doing your daily do and you're bringing them in, you're coaching them and you're helping them and you're holding them accountable and you're showing you're doing your work that A, you'll get support that you need. And then B, you can also be coaching up the next generation of leaders. One of the the things I always remind companies about is, you know, your succession plan for your top executives. What does that look like? You know, if if you could have a resource pool in-house to pull from of people who are ready to take that spot, that's a benefit to a company. And and one of the things I, I work with organizations on instead of, oh my gosh, we need an SVP, a first VP, a CEO of this, a board position, like wh- where are we going to find people? Um, what if you just created that culture with being leaders of influence? Yes is yes. No is no. Here are our standards. Here's our DEI. Here's how we take care of our people. You know, I had worked for leaders where sometimes I would work on a Sunday when I was in corporate and Later on in that meeting in our one-on-ones, they said, you know, you are going to leave early on Friday because I saw you logged in all weekend you know, that's a leader. I was like, wow, first of all, how did you know that? (laughs) And secondly, I mean, we've got projects and we've got this. And they said, Friday by noon, I want you out of here. Wow. That's a leader that I follow into a snowstorm. And that is an example of how you lead an organization with those that are committed to the goal. That's great. That's really interesting. You talked about mentorship and I agree. I've had similar experience uh, with observing mentors sometimes more than actually interacting with them and just seeing how they handle situations. And I'm curious, what do you think organizations can do? The other aspect of that is, I think, allyship and sponsorship, especially for professionals 
that have diverse backgrounds? What do you think organizations can do to show that allyship or help with sponsorship with people from diverse backgrounds? That's perfect. I think it's mentorship 2.0, meaning it all first starts, and I know I've said this, but when it comes to mentorship and sponsorship of um, selecting people from diverse backgrounds to be able to, to fill much needed gaps, right? Because you want to have voices of all people in order to get the voice of the company, right? And if you, you don't, then you're, you're missing out on an element. I believe for leaders at top of the house, it starts one with the CEO, C-suite team, secondly, the board. And it is having a very clear vision outside of revenue targets and profitability margins. Where are we going as an organization? So I worked with one company who really wanted to expand to the Middle East. And we started with this conversation. I said, well, why? Why do you want it? Of course, it'll be profitable, right? But why this country? Why this part of the world? Why, you know, why that? And they said, well, you know, our product, we did surveys, it's going to sell really well. And the reason I asked that is because the vision of an organization, I'm all about the revenue number. I'm all about targets fiscally. I think that is so important because if the company's not fiscally strong, there is no jobs to hire people so they can give back to the community what they want to do. But the reason I ask that is when you, you're clear on the vision and everyone of any leadership position could take this. If you get your marching orders that uh, your division has to do X, Y, Z, or your stats are this, or your team has to do that. You want to, in the right way, ask, <laughs> why are we doing this? But then whatever your marching orders are, okay, why am I doing this? And the reason being, the one element that this company left off the table is understanding that this particular country they wanted to move into was a night and day cultural difference from what they were used to. They do business differently. I, I've done business in that area. I'm like, look, you're, you're not going to go in with a PowerPoint deck and close them. You're going to have to have conversations. You might have to have a few dinners. People are going to get to know you. I mean, it is, it is truly building a relationship. And so I wanted to know their why first for their vision. And this is why leaders have to ask that question of what's the vision before we get into understanding how we communicate with diverse groups. Why is that needed? Because for them, I said, if you want to expand and in this territory, you have to be able to understand the culture of the individuals there, because what you thought was in your marketing plan was going to work, like even their, their brand colors was an offense to that area. So we had to get that clear first to sort of clear out the cobwebs of what they did not see as leaders to then say, okay, for this country I want to move into, I need to expand my understanding of diversity. And I need to become a movement to actually bring women in who were not typically in executive positions in that country. And so the reason I bring this, this is a very, um, I mean, on a scale of one to 10, it's probably a 12 example, but it was a prime example for them to understand, wow, we really need to understand another culture. Do we even understand the culture of the people in-house? Which they Do you have people in your organization that are actually from that culture or understand that culture, but because they didn't have a strong DEI policy or culture or just communication, they then had to go do the homework at home before they tried to go abroad. And so what I would say for leaders of an organization is, what is your vision? What do you want to do? And then as a part of that, the strength is having a diverse leadership team. But if your team doesn't know that 
you're even open for them being a part of the leadership team, that's the first step is to have that conversation and say, here is where we're going. And even leaders who want to step into, I call a pro leadership position, is to openly say, we have looked at our organization. Here are our top 10 gaps of what we see. We're taking ownership for it. It's fully my responsibility. Either we don't have enough women in this position, either we have senior executives that are just staling, mating in their position, and there's no room for teams to grow, right? So in order for you to have a diverse team, it is a part of a pillar of a strong organization. And I think we are separating it too much to say it's either or, or this is a sub-movement or a sub-segment. No, it's a part of your organization. When I go to a coffee shop or I travel abroad and you just look, there are people of all different shapes, sizes, everything that are there. Could you imagine if you did that with your company is to say, let us bring in people's opinion and foster diversity because diversity, I believe that the definition needs to be expanded because when you talk to people of all different type of backgrounds you get a different perspective that brings diversity to your company's viewpoint and that makes you stronger. But you first have to understand where you're going and why and how does bringing in so that the leaders understand, oh, wow, this is why we need to really expand our diversity because we only have one dialogue happening in the boardroom. But what if we expand that dialogue? It's for the better of everyone. And then when you're out actually recruiting and creating sponsorship and mentorship, your people can feel that it's authentic. Thank you, LaDawn, for that. I think that's a really great way to start to wind down this particular conversation. And I really appreciate that point of view on diversity and your point on how it's really a part of a whole and how we can really bridge the gap, bring both sides together instead of separating it out. So I really appreciate that point. Here on Dillis, and we always have our signature question that we ask all of our guests, which is, if you could go back in a time machine and speak to your younger 22-year-old self, what advice would you give to your younger 22-year-old self? Mm. I've actually been going through this exercise (laughs) since the week before uh, the holiday break in December, because I felt that pull as a professional, like there's a question I personally need to answer as a professional here. And I took a few weeks to do it. And what I realized is I would tell my 22 year old self, do not diminish your light to make others feel more powerful. Meaning, If you know you have a call, a mission, a vision, a voice, you have a voice, let your voice be spoken. Even if you flub it a bit, I believe if your heart is in the right posture and intention, then people will give you grace with the words, but the message will come across the right way. When I think about my 22-year-old self, even my 32-year-old self and trying to navigate corporate and what should be done. And it, 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 there was there was a large part of people pleasing because I'm a huge rule follower. And But I think there's a place for rules and there's a place for us to create new rules. And because of that, it stunted my growth. I, I, I really believe as a, as a leader now, 
I'm not 22, but now um, <laughs> looking back on it and, and seeing, wow, if I have an opportunity to even speak to a group of teenagers or young adults, I would say, find your voice and be confident in your voice because your voice wants to be heard, not for you and your advancement. But I believe when you have this, just this pull inside that, you know, you have a message that you have a voice, you have something to say. It is really to be of service to someone else and to a mission bigger than you. And I silenced that voice for so long because I thought well, that's not the way you do it and I have to be prim and proper. So I went to all my 22-year-old self and even my non-22-year-old self, now I won't say how old, is to use your voice because as we all can see in our world, the voices of those that can make impact and can cut through the chatter and the noise and bring reason and wisdom to discussions is so needed right now more than ever before. So that's what I would say. And even to those today that are hesitant on having a voice, I believe your voice is needed, especially if it's something you feel that is paramount for your organization. Just find the right way to say it, but no longer let your voice be silenced. Well, Don, thank you for that advice and thank you for being guests today on Deal Within. Thank you to our listeners. We hope that you were able to learn something from today's podcast about leadership and leadership traits. And we uh, look forward to having you join us again on our next Deal Within podcast. Thank you for joining us at the table for this episode of Deal Within. If you have a recommendation for an inspiring interviewee, a question you'd like us to ask, or topic you would like to hear covered, or if you'd like to tell us about women-focused initiatives in the field, please email us at wpef at mcguirewoods.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This podcast was recorded and is being made available by McGuire Woods for informational purposes only. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that McGuire Woods makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in the podcast. The views, information, or opinions expressed during this podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect those of McGuire Woods. This podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state and should not be construed as an offer to make or consider any investment or course of action.